Good morning again. <laughs> well, you may be seated. We So that, um, so that the kid who came, huh, all of them are broken. Is that better? Could I use that one? So the kid who came up to ask me when we're leaving doesn't come again this Sunday. Um, uh, we'll try and have, have our tea break. Oh my word, look at our team waiting for you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. You may also be seated. <laughs> We'll have our tea break after. Um, so, Karibuni, if you, if you are here for the first time today, I am Edgar King. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, on behalf of this family, thank you so much for joining us and allowing us to spend our Sunday with, your Sunday with us. However that sentence is supposed to go. You get what I'm saying? Um, Oh, I didn't, I, it didn't hit me that I'm about to say, why don't we stand for the reading of Scripture? We might as well have stayed standing. But please, why don't we stand for the reading of Scripture together? So we're reading from Je uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. Let's read together. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Blessed be the word of the Lord. It's such an... You may be seated. It's such an odd place to stop our reading, right? It's like, oh my goodness. So as I've been saying, um, this is the cornerstone uh, scripture for our, our series for the next couple of weeks. And uh, uh, so let me start with that bottom part. It, 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 we can see from, um, from the rest of the Old Testament and from the character of Jesus that God is not some cosmic killjoy who goes on punishing people for the for the sins their parents did. Instead, built in sin and brokenness itself is a payback. Sin itself will pay you back. But also what I, I, I'm keen to let us realize is that sin does not just impact us. Sin done by you, sin done to you, and sin done around you does not just impact you. It impacts the people around you, and it impacts the generations that come after you. And so we cannot ignore sin. And we can see it. You go to, you go to your counseling uh, rooms and all of a sudden you thought you were talking about your, your wife and now you're, you're busy talking about uh, your parents. You thought you were talking about your, your boss and now you're busy talking about your dad. Because their brokenness and their sin didn't stay with them. And the beauty is, so actually uh, scholars argue that whatever ends the first portion in this Hebrew poetry, whatever ends the first portion should end the second portion. So, so it should say, showing love and faithfulness to thousands of generations. 
while sin goes on to four generations. The beauty of, of what the, the Bible is saying here, that all the goodness of God, the character of God, His faithfulness, His never-ending love, His forgiveness of sin and brokenness, His forgiveness of sin and rebellion goes on for thousands of generations. There is nothing that could ever drown God's goodness. There's nothing that could ever take away what God has intended for, for you, for your family, and, and, and even for this nation. And, and, and because these two are put together, I don't therefore want us to ignore that part that, hey, by the way, the stuff you, uh, you, uh, you don't deal with will impact not just you, but generations after you. So last week... Uh, we talked about generational sin and brokenness. And we looked, uh, so the, the key invitation from last week is I wanted you to become aware of key experiences that have shaped your life and your family's life. I wanted you to just become aware. What are the key events and experiences that have shaped your life and your family's life? Um, uh, from, from good things like the school you went to, the city you were born in, from good things such as those to very traumatic things. Just become aware of them. My contention has been that they did not just impact you. Or if you were keen to do it, you probably realize that some of the stuff you're dealing with are things that happened in your grandfather's lifetime. Are things that happened in your great-grandfather's lifetime, but they still impact you to this day. So my invitation was to become aware. Because one, you cannot change what you do not identify. So the first step is identifying those key events that have influenced you. Um, uh, uh, sins that have been done in your family. Sins that, have, sins that have been done by your family, sins that have been done to your family, identify those things because you cannot break the, the impact of what you don't identify. Today, I want to move the conversation forward a little bit into how those key events and experiences in your family have shaped how you, you act in relationship. How you act in relationship uh, arises from the family you came from and the key events that have happened in your life as well. Listen, God is relational. He himself exists in community, perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are invited into relationship. We are very relational human beings. We cannot exist outside of relationship. One day, Jesus was asked, you know, uh, what, which is the greatest commandment? And he, say, and, and he says, you know, love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, and those, none is greater than those two. Human beings cannot exist outside of relationship. Then when the church comes into being, when the church comes into being, um, uh, they remember Jesus' greatest commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And so a lot of the New Testament letters are written to the church to, to teach them how to relate with each other. Right? Because, hey, by the way, you can heal the sick, you can raise the dead, you can walk on scorpions, but it's a really bad deal if one, you do not love one another, and two, you do not love the poor. Those were so important for Jesus, right? 
And so uh, the, all of, most of the New Testament is uh, the New Testament letters from the apostles are towards teaching people how to treat each other in relationship. We cannot exist outside of relationship. You know very well. So Joy, uh, two weeks ago, talked about blessing. All our blessing comes through relationship. The, the blessing that your family carries comes to you through that relationship. All our blessing comes through relationship. Abraham is blessed by God. And then when God calls, calls Isaac, what does God tell him? I am the God of your father. It's that relationship. And how are we blessed today? Because of our relationship in Jesus. All our blessings come through relationships, even communal relationship, even your family's relationship. And then the truth is we know very well that our deepest pains also come through relationship, especially the closest ones. Family has a way of giving you the best memories and the best gifts and the deepest pains, including this family, including the family of God, which you've been called into. As we are becoming more and more like Jesus, as we journey together, we will hurt each other. We will, we will really bless each other, but we will also hurt each other. And as I've, as I've said every time that comes up, if you haven't done it yet, your turn is coming. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. One day it will be your turn to offend. And if you're never offending someone, it's probably because it's you. If it's always other people, it's probably because it's you. And if you're always offended, yeah, I think it's also you. If everyone keeps offending you, it's also you. But the point is family gives us such rich and deep blessings and they cause us such deep pains. Yet we cannot exist outside of relationship. So this today, as we talk about relational patterns, what we're trying to do is I'm inviting you to identify how you behave in relationships and find out where they are out of sync with the way of Jesus. Remember, our call is to become love. Faith, hope, uh, love, these three remain, but the greatest of them all is love. What is uh, this one commandment I give you, that you love one another? The journey of discipleship is a journey towards becoming love. And so what is happening is that as we have been called into the family of God, God the Father is reparenting us. Reparenting us. Breaking old patterns of sin and brokenness, but also healing bad relational patterns. Healing how, how uh, the relational patterns that we have borrowed from our family of origin that are not in sync with the way of Jesus. That's really what the invitation is. It's like, okay, this is how I am in relationships. Am I becoming love? Am I becoming more and more who Jesus has called me? Then if it is out of sync with the way of Jesus, we work towards healing. We invite God to, uh, to heal us. Like I've said through the weeks, we will not heal ourselves. What we are doing is identifying them and then... <laughs> We take them on our knees, we take them before Jesus and say, Lord, heal me. And where counseling is needed, I keep encouraging you people, if you can afford, if you can get access to counseling, go for it. I, I, all my counselor friends are not in a crew, so I'm not trying to prop up someone's business. So don't worry about that. Now, 
Let me, you know, if you wonder if you have any particular patterns in your, in your relationships, uh, married people, I want you to think back to, some people just dated once and they married that person. That my, that's my brother's case. I'm like, dude, you're lucky. You know, but, you know, some of you dated a couple of times before you found the one, right? I want you to think back to all those. Just close your eyes for a moment. And single people who are still in the Sokorni, I want you to think about all the, all the relationships you've had before. Now, just a warning. If you're married, as you think back, don't smile. You might, you, you might be kicked out of your house, and that's not on me. Like, what are you remembering? Anyway, so, so think back to, to two or three people that you had very close relationship with. Do you realize that they were the same person with different names? In a lot of ways, they acted the same. They, do you, they liked the same thing sometimes. They cheated you the same way, each of them. Do you realize that they probably were the same person with different names and different faces? My lecturer in uh, theology school told, told us a story of a woman who had uh, gone for pastoral counseling in despair because her now fourth husband was a drunk who beat her up. And she was, she was frustrated. She was hurting. She was going, what have I done wrong? What is wrong with men today? And, and so as, as, as she sat there, uh, the pastor asked her to recount uh, the story of her other marriages. And then she started re uh, realizing that, you know what, the third husband, no, let's start with the first. The first husband, um, love of her life, she believed, was a drunk who beat her up. Then when that marriage ended, she found a new love of her life. It's crazy how many of those we often have. She found a new love of her life who showed no signs of being the same, and he also became an abusive husband. And then when that ended, uh, she found another love of her life who showed no signs of being anything like those who had come before. If anything, probably he said, how could they do that to such a wonderful flower? And then when they got married, it didn't take too long, and he also became abusive. So there's a pattern here, right? So as she sat through that and she was drawing her timeline, her relational timeline, she then said, oh, by the way, my dad was a drunk who beat my mama up. And I know we know uh, countless stories such as those. Now, of course, we all go, what is wrong with such men? And, and, and yet it says something about the woman too. Now, this is not a statement to, you know, blame the victim kind of thing. We don't want to be unnecessarily counseled by, by you know, the new council culture in town. Um, this is just saying that even while everybody has to take responsibility for the hurt they cause, if we don't, if we don't uh, look back and, and, and find what our role is in the pain, we're going to repeat it over and over again. If we don't take responsibility for our role in the pain around us, we're going to repeat the cycle over and over again. Uh, there's a philosopher I really like um, who argues that, you know, uh, you will marry the wrong person. Now, 
I don't agree with that statement, but just hear him out. You will marry the wrong person, and, and it's because that often people are unaware that as they claim they're looking for love, they're looking for people who will hurt them in familiar ways. Our templates of love, relationships, and attachment were given to us in the very early years of our life. And the people who indeed loved us, right? I know that some of us come from very, very broken families. But mo a lot of people come from families that indeed loved us. But, but you know, uh, our parents and caregivers in the early uh, uh, years of our lives were hurt, were broken people. They were not perfect. So as they loved us, they also hurt us. And so we grew up, we all grew up knowing that love not only feels this good, but is supposed to hurt like this. That's the thing. And when we are young, we, we just think, of course this is how it is supposed to be. And we, what we don't often realize is that as we grow up, that becomes a template with which we base all our adult relationships, especially the close ones, especially romantic ones. And so every time we're looking for... Uh, we're looking for people to love us, unless they hurt us in familiar ways, we don't quite know how to receive that love. And that, so these are the places I am inviting us to invite God in to heal us if we're going to love people well. Do we remember the commandment from Jesus? Love one another. I promise you, if you're living your life from a place of brokenness, you are not loving people well. I promise if you're living your life uh, uh, over and over again uh, through these patterns, you're not living into all that God is calling you to be. The whole goal is that you and I become love, and this requires dealing with those past wounds. And you cannot deal with those past wounds unless you're aware of them. And, you know... Uh, I, our culture is now becoming so self-focused, so self-centered, that people are saying, well, you should love me the way I am. No one should be. There's a difference between compassion. We should be compassionate towards each other. Like, we all are broken and hurting. But no one should be allowed to just stay where they are. We all need to grow up. We all need to grow up. It's like, well, I am needy. Take it or leave it. No, 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 no. We all need to grow up. I, I don't know how to emotionally open up. No, come on. We all need to grow up. But our culture is selling this lie that, hey, it's your truth. This is who you are. That's who you were. What Jesus has called you into is complete and whole. So... These are the places I'm inviting us to heal. Now, you might wonder, do I need to identify them in order to get healing? Healing is such a broad concept, and I'm looking forward to a season where we'll do a teaching on healing. Uh, we've been planning on it a long time. Um, but but uh, uh, and I, at the same time, I want us to realize, so just this comment I want to make on healing, that you know what? Sometimes we need to ask. I know God gives us stuff even before we need them sometimes, yet sometimes we need to ask. There's something, uh, there's a mystery in God's kingdom about telling a father who already knows what we want, what we want. Jesus, when talking to his disciples before he left, he said, up until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and it will be given. But the father already knows what you need. 
Yet you must still ask. Jesus was one day walking on the streets and there is a, a blind person called Bartimaeus. And he starts screaming, shouting at the top of his lungs because people wouldn't give him way. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, who is always open for interruption, stops. He had a, you know, you'd think, well, Jesus must be busy. He's heading somewhere. Jesus has always got time for you. Jesus always got time for you. It doesn't matter what else you think is happening. So he stops. And guess what Jesus asks? What would you want me to do for you? Can't you see he's blind? Yeah. What would you want me to do for you? There's a mystery in God's kingdom that we have to ask. Or it's the same way Jesus, his friend uh, Lazarus, he loved him dearly, had died. In fact, they said, the one you love. Jesus loved Lazarus dearly, and now this guy is dead. Even the Son of God himself had to ask. He's walking and he's talking to one of the sisters of this guy and says, Oh, by the way, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes there and says, Father, I'm asking this not, you know, for them that are here. Even Jesus had to ask. There's a mystery in God's kingdom that, that, you know, we have to ask. And I think, I think it's because we are being reparented into perfect relationship. And so it's not just about the gifts God gives. Because everyone who's ever experienced healing before, you know you've gotten sick again, right? Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, newsflash, he died again. And maybe, let's even argue they did it a couple times, raise him up again. I'm thinking by the third time, he's going, guys, just leave me alone. But anyway, he died again. Because the gifts of God are not an end to themselves. We're being invited into relationship. And so even the healing we are invited to, it's not an end to itself. It's about God giving us himself. It's about us realizing the perfect love of the Father. And you know what? The truth is we do that with our, with our children too, right? We go, use your words. Use, no, no, no tantrums. Use your words. What are we doing? We already know they want food. We are socializing them. We are, we are getting into building relationship with him. We are communicating with them. This is the same thing when the father says, up until now you haven't asked me. And here's the thing about, about some, some people here, and I know, I, as I say this, it could be so frustrating for you if you've been praying for healing for a long time. Don't stop. So when, when, when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, uh, uh, those who knock, the door is open, those who seek, find, and those who, who, uh, who ask, receive. Actually, so some translation says, uh, Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. So I, I just want to say this, even for those who have been praying for something for a long time, unless you've heard God say, no, don't stop asking. He cares. Don't stop asking. So there's one group of people who just feel like, okay, I've, I've been asking for this. Don't stop asking. But then there's a group of people who, who haven't asked. And Jesus is going, up until now, you haven't asked me. I'd like to be healed from this up until now. You haven't asked me. Ask. Ask. So we've got to identify these things. 
uh, generational brokenness, generational sin, and today we're talking about relational patterns. And then we go and say, God, I need healing. You know, so from last week, things like, God, I need healing from the bondage of pornography. Father, my family has had this generation of promiscuity and, and affairs. I set me free. Lord, every firstborn in our family gets divorced in the first year of, of, of marriage. By your power, this ends here. So we, we identify and then we go to the Father and say, Lord, I need healing. Ask, ask, ask. Let me show you some relational patterns. Some of you in relationship are so anxious because you, you probably grew up in, in, in a stable family that provided everything you need, uh, 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 but, not, but your emotional needs were not met, either by one or both your parents, and simply because they were broken too, right? So, so you grew up in a stable family, physical needs were met, but your emotional needs were not met. What that has made of you is that when you're in close relationship, in community or even in a romantic relationship, you, 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 you cling so much because you, you're in constant need of reassurance. We all need reassurance, and then there's some people, because of our brokenness, we're in constant need of reassurance. And so the, the people with us feel suffocated. It's almost like they cannot eat without us. They, you know, if, if, if they go three minutes without replying to your text, you're going, wait, have they left me? You constantly fear that, they will be, they, that you will be abandoned, that no one wants to love you. Uh, you're so afraid that you'll be left. And so people have described you as insecure, with low self-esteem, with a lot of self-doubt in a relationship. People have called you needy. Do you feel like I'm saying your name out loud? I'm sorry, it wasn't my intention. And you know, this could have been just from abandonment. One of your parents left when you were young. Or... Or they were workaholics, so they provided everything, but they were never available for you emotionally. Or just because uh, they didn't know how to be available emotionally. You know, I, I bet so many Africans in the room never heard the words, I love you, from their fathers. Right. right. I, I did. But it was when I was out of college and I texted him, hey, dad, I love you. He said, I love you too. <laughs> His way of saying I love you is like, ah, Rafkiangu, how are you doing? You know? <laughs> but he calls me, you know, and he says, you know, not every time I'm calling you is because I've run out of fuel. I just wanted to say hi. So he loves me. But, you know, anyway, I, why, why are we getting lost? <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, so. Maybe they didn't know how to do it themselves. Or maybe there was a trauma in the family that really shook your own parents. Maybe there was a sick child who needed a lot more attention, and so you got the short end of the stick. You see, even normal things in family, that's why we're talking about key events, even normal th things that happen in the family can, can create a certain way we relate. And whether it was their fault or not, right, they did that out of brokenness, and it's made you into someone very insecure. You're wondering, when will this person leave? Some of you are so avoidant in relationships, the people you, are, you, 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 you claim to love find you very distant. You're just emotionally absent. I, 
I don't know why some couples are laughing. Anyway, thank you. You know, you're just emotionally absent, and when they, especially when there is a difficult emotion, you start shutting down and pulling further and further away. Men going to their men cave. You show no affection. You know, you, you, claim, you claim that they should know you love them because you provide anyway. They should know you love them because you've been cooking for them and you haven't poisoned them yet. The thing is, you're not so sure people are dependable, and so you'd rather provide for your own emotional needs. You don't open up, and probably it's gotten so worse that you yourself don't know how to deal with your own emotions, especially negative ones. And here's, here's the thing. You, you're where you are probably because you grew up uh, where, where, where your parents, even though they provided, uh, there was stability in the home, there was a, a, a certain hostility towards your, your emotions, especially negative ones. Your own parents didn't know what to do with emotions, and so they, they, they shut, yes, they shut certain emotions down. So when you threw a tantrum, when you became angry, there was a hostility towards it. And not necessarily physical, but you could tell that every time you showed negative emotion, they, they didn't know what to do. And it could be because they themselves felt needy and unable to care for you, or they themselves just felt threatened by your emotion. They were broken too. But what it did inside you is it made you realize, oh, by the way, to get what I want, I must learn to shut down my emotions. To get ahead, I must never show my emotions. People are not safe. I cannot trust them with what I truly think. I cannot trust them with what I truly feel. The funny thing is, these two polar opposites often find each other in romantic relationships. And so there's one who desperately wants affirmation and, 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 um, and, and, uh, and reassurance constantly, and there's another who feels suffocated all the time, and so it's almost like it's a, it's a chase that never ends. The moment they go, do you love me? Do you love me? You go, Ugh. and so it just becomes this chase that never ends. Then there the are some who, who are a combination of both. You blow hot and cold. People around you don't really know what to do with you. One moment, they're love bomb. They, they can tell that you are the apple of their eye. The whole world ceases to exist, and it's just you. It's just them. And then the next minute, you're the coldest person, and they don't know what happened. They have no idea what, what, what changed. And it's probably because you also grew up in the same uh, atmosphere. And your biggest fear is rejection. It's like, if you're constantly saying, if you're constantly saying, no one really loves me. If you're constantly saying, the other person, the first one says, I think they will leave me. But this one says, I don't think anyone really loves me. You really don't trust people. You're constantly afraid and expecting rejection. Some people grew up in... In, in very um, enmeshed uh, family relationships uh, where, where one parent, either because, uh, you, 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 let's picture a, a very unhealthy single parent who then leans heavily on the child for her own emotional needs. You can imagine that child just wants to go out and play. 
But the dad or the mom wants to be fulfilled by this child. What, what that does is that this, this, uh, this child grows up with, with no idea of how to keep emotional or physical boundaries. And they become such people pleasers, even at their own expense. Because they have this belief that they're responsible for their partner's happiness. Yet throughout their lives, their parent remains the center stage. Their, cons- their parent knows everything about them. It's just, you know, you hear some people share stuff with their parent, you're going, ooh, you told your mom that? Really? And, and, and you know, the, the, their parent's sense of self-worth constantly keeps coming in the way of their own success. But you see... You're in that place relationally because you grew up in a broken place. Is all this important? Yes. How you relate to people is how you relate to God. You cannot claim to have a better relationship with God than with the people around you. You cannot claim to love God more than you love your wife. You cannot claim to love God more than you love your sibling. You can, it's as simple as Paul saying, hey, if, you're, if your uh, uh, family is going hungry, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's Jesus looking at the Pharisees who, who would take the money that they were supposed to help their old parents with and claim that they've secured that for the service of God. And, and Jesus going, whoa, that's not, that's not how it was meant to be. You cannot claim to love God more than you love people. These two go hand in hand. First John uh, chapter 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. Love comes from God himself. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. This is the Apostle John many years later writing to the church and going, guys, stop this untruth that you love God more than you love your friends, that you love God more than you love your family. You actually cannot. So this is why I'm inviting us. Watch your relational patterns because they will tell you even how you're relating with God. Some of you do not realize that you do not trust God Because you actually have trouble trusting people anyway. You just cannot trust God. And you know, you know, in church people people get used to these words so much, so we often think, of course I trust God. Look at your patterns where when things are crashing. Where do you run to first? Do you have any peace? Or do you just sense, no, I don't think God could do this? Some of you have a hard time forgiving yourselves for your mistakes because you, you, because you, you, you just feel that, that, that God could only choose you if you're perfect. That God could only love you if you're doing things right. But that's actually how you also behave in relationships with human beings. That's actually how you're acting also in your marriage or in your dating life. You're just going, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're constantly pestered by guilt. Like, I'm not perfect. How could I have done that? How could I have done that? How could I have done that? Some of you are angry at God because you think God abandoned you. 
How could you? If God is real, and some of you have not even rejected the, the reality of God, but you're just angry at God. And guess what? You're still angry at the parents and caregivers or the first loves that abandoned you. Some of you, in the moments where we are unable to tell the closeness of God because that's just how human beings are, uh, it's what we call the, uh, the dark night of the soul where God feels distant. God feels distant and you're, not, and you're not moved. Often some of us think, I must have done something wrong. You come to church and, and you know, the presence of God is, 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 is tangible and you're just going, whoa, what am I missing out? What did I do? You blame it on yourself. Guess what? It's, 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 it's also how you're acting in, in relationships with human beings. When they come home and they have nothing to say, you just go, huh, what have I not done right? And they have to go, no, seriously, it, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. That's a rude way of saying it, but you know, they're probably tired. Last week, we finished our discussions with the story of Joseph. His family has ha had had cycles of brokenness and sin that went on for generations. Some that, some that re resulted in his own brother selling him out as a slave, as a bargaining, as a, as a bargain from killing him. Like, you know, let's not kill him. Let's instead sell him out to be a slave for the rest of his life. Aren't we kind? That's how broken this family was. Yet because God's presence was on Joseph, because God was with Joseph, some of these patterns begin to break in his family. He begins to go, no, not so with me. No, not so with me. So at some point, his father, their father is dead, and, and Joseph is obviously a big deal in Egypt, and the brothers are worried. Like, what if he repays us for what we did? They send him a letter, and they're telling him all these things. And this is, this is Joseph's reply when they ask him, are you going to uh, uh, repay us? Genesis 50, 19 to 20. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good, uh, uh, it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. The journey I'm inviting us is not one of judging or shaming our families. In fact, if we find ourselves doing that, we're doing it wrong. The journey I'm inviting us is, you know, we're not in the place of God. The journey I'm inviting us is one of seeking healing. We, we, we go to God with the confidence that anything the enemy meant for evil, he turns around for good. With the confidence that any brokenness and any sin that has been in our families, God can turn it around for good. Sin done by you, sin done against you, sin done around you. God can turn it around for good. And guess what? It's for the blessing of both your family and the generations that come after you. We have that confidence that he gives us beauty for ashes. If this journey has been bringing to mind certain hard emotions and memories, guess what? God gives us beauty for ashes. You can take to him, look at the ashes I have received from my family. You can take to him and say, look at the ashes I have carried on in my own life. You can take to him and say, look at the ashes that I am. 
and God gives us beauty for ashes. And the beauty is, the good news is, it's not by our power. It's not by our might. It's by, by, it's by the Spirit of God. You can trust that no weapon fashioned against you shall stand. You can, you can have that confidence. And I think that's encouraging enough for, for me to go, oh, I can see what I have been repeating in my own life. I can, I, with that confidence, I can go to God and say, look, this is the reality about what my father and my grandfather and, and their father before him did. And this is how it's impacting me. I can confidently go to the father and say, hey, one day I'm going to be a father and I don't want to pass this on. I can confidently go to God and say, hey, I'm a team leader and I don't want to function out of this brokenness anymore. So you become honest with yourself about your relational patterns, then sit with God and ask for help. You don't have to fear. Don't shy away from acknowledging where those broken patterns are. In fact, if you choose to go there, you'll find that God has been waiting for you there. If you choose to go there, you'll find the Father saying, I know. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to be ready. If you choose to go there, you'll find the gentle voice of a shepherd asking, what do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus longs to ask each one of you. What do you want me to do for you? And some of us will be bold enough to acknowledge not only that we are blind, but we're in need of a savior. We cannot fix ourselves. And so some of us, and I encourage it that it, is, that, that it becomes many of us, will be bold enough to say, Lord, I want to see again. Lord, I want healing from insecurity. Lord, I want to heal from this chronic avoidance. Lord, I want you to heal me for the sake of my generation generations and the people I work with and my family right now, I want to become a blessing. So heal me, Lord. Turn around what the enemy meant for evil. So how, these are ways you could do that, how you could identify relational patterns. One, draw a relational timeline. Sit down in prayer and just draw a relational timeline. Just go back as far as you can to the different close relationships you've had. 2016, what, which was your closest relationship? 2014, which was your closest relationship? And, and ask, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you just key, uh, key characteristics and patterns in them. How did they start? How did you act in them all? Were you possessive? Were you fearful? Were you distant? How did they treat you? And then just... Note what things are similar. Two, draw a genogram. As I said last week, our community group leaders have been given genograms, and they will send them to you. If you're not in a community group, join one. If you're, if, if you're not able to join a community group yet, and you'd like a genogram, please uh, talk to Stacy. Where is she at? Okay, uh, Enid, will you help with that? So just give your, give your phone number, to, uh, give your email address to Stacy, and we'll send it to you and you can print it or give us your phone number and we'll have a printed one for you tomorrow. Uh, sorry, Sunday. And then receive prayer. Receive prayer. Let's lean into trusting God. 
and saying, yeah, Father, I realize I'm such an insecure person. I need you to speak healing. And the truth is some people will get better over time. Others have to keep going back to this place where they tell Jesus, heal me again. Heal me, heal me, heal me. And so the prayer on the 14th of June, right? The prayer on the 14th of June, this is what we're doing. A few of us will be here from the prayer team. We're recognizing, we're acknowledging that some of these conversations might be stirring up very difficult things, and we will be praying specifically around that. If anything has come up, a memory, an emotion, uh, um, uh, uh, a wound from abuse, and you'd like prayer, uh, uh, a few people from the prayer team will be here on Wednesday the 14th to pray especially around that for healing and restoration. Or maybe it could be memories of, of, of sin or uh, in your family. We'd love to pray with you, and we're just going to set that aside as private and and that important. For receive counseling. If you can access counseling, it's a great tool to deal with uh, uh, our past. So.